The Anchored City Podcast is recorded in Anchorage, Alaska, on the traditional lands of the Denina Athabascan people. I have heard the oldest stories that the wisest man never told. And I cast aside my worries And just went digging for gold And I will scale the highest mountains Looking for the bluest blue Thank you for checking out this bonus episode of the Anchored City Podcast. There was so much good stuff in the interviews that we did for episode 6 that there was too much for one show. We thought we'd add some of the interesting bits from those interviews that we weren't able to use here. So here's some more thoughts from Shauna Larson and TJ Smith. There are oceans and there are deserts that I have yet to cross. And I have dreamed of faraway places where imagination just gets lost and I would search the wide world over for one proverb that is true but of all the roads I'll ever walk could you share a little bit with me what um, Native Movement does what is the what is the organization about Sure. We kind of have four core areas that we work in. Um, The first would be building people power. We believe that the people that are closest to the problems are closest to this, have the solutions to those problems. And so um, providing support to communities that are dealing with issues. And one of the ways, uh, the most popular ways that we are providing support are through trainings on um, all different things our most popular training is called um untangling colonialism and decolonizing advocacy so that's our most popular training but we are also offering trainings on white fragility as well as nonviolent direct action trainings we also host art parties um, for people that are going to be um protesting, peacefully protesting, and um, we also work on gender justice issues, including uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women and LGBTQAI plus issues. The second area that we work in are kind of all the justices. So we work in the areas of social justice, economic justice, um, environmental justice, and um, the program work that we do on, for example, um, LGBTQ and um, missing and murdered indigenous women are um, some of the pieces that fall under the the justices that we work on. Uh, The third thing that we work on is healing 
And so it's sort of the idea of that mindfulness. How are you taking care of yourself? What are you doing? Um, how, how does that look? How do you decolonize your practices? And then um, the last thing that we work on is just transition. And that just means, um, you know, given our Alaska's um, economy and resources, um, we know that uh, all of the resources that are currently being tapped into are finite. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're, it's not going to be sustainable to use them forever. They're going to run out. And what we say is um, transition is inevitable, but and justice is not guaranteed. And so we really try to work with our, our partners to help um, imagine and vision what the future can look like. Again, going back to the idea that the people closest to the problems are closest to the solutions as well. So uh, looking at how those things are going to um, uh, work in the future as we start to transition away from the oil and gas economy that we currently have. The other question that I had written down is, what do you see as sort of the legacy of that? I mean, obviously, we're living in the, still in the legacy of all of this colonization that happened. Um, where do you see it sort of showing up in, in Anchorage or in Alaska um, in ways that people maybe aren't aware of, like that, that because it's just sort of the air that we're breathing, in a sense, around us, what's the legacy that shows up that, again, maybe, that maybe we're not aware of? Lastly, I'll just talk about the roles in the community and how and why those were so very important. Um, when I was growing up, I grew up in Anchorage for the most part. I, I moved around a lot, but for the most part, I grew up in Anchorage and I, I went to Mountain View Elementary, graduated from Clark Middle School and graduated from East High School. And in my teenage years, I became very frustrated with my dad, uh, in particular, who drank a lot. And both my dad and my gram drank a lot. And I was the kind of kid that would do things like go hide the alcohol or dump it out or um, anything I could think to do. Um, and I would get in a lot of trouble for that. And we would have a lot of arguments. And I really couldn't understand why my dad would choose alcohol over me. And uh, sometime later, like maybe when I was 18 or 19, we went to a funeral um, for a family member who had passed on an uncle. It wasn't somebody that I knew super well, but one of our aunties got up and she was speaking about him and she said he was, he was a hero. He was one of our heroes. And I didn't understand from an indigenous lens or perspective how to translate the English word and the meaning of hero into a kind of a traditional um, meaning. So I really was a little bit stumped and had to think about that because I thought, well, you know, when I think about heroes, it's superheroes, it's the Incredible Hulk, it's Spider-Man, it's Batman. And I was trying to think how to translate that. Well, when I was very small, 
Um, my dad and mom took a job at the cannery in the village of Port Graham, where my mom was from, is from, and um, they did 12 hour shifts. And so one worked the night shift and one worked the day shift. And they uh, built a canvas tent with um, a wooden bottom and there was a stove and a countertop, a kitchen table, a mattress and a couch. And we, we had, we lived there for the whole summer and my, my parents rotated taking care of me. And my dad was always very worried about my academics and my health. And so he would take me down to the school and it was a very tiny school. Um, they had a very small library and he would um, always encourage me to check out books, but I would only check out my favorite book, which was Frog and Toad. And so my poor dad had to read to me a million times said to frog, said to toad, toad and frog, frog and toad over and over. If you've ever read these books, you know, they sort of reference each other over and over. And my dad just one night had had it. He was just like, I remember he tossed that book onto the mattress and he was laying on the bottom of the couch and I was laying on the top back of the couch next to the tent. And um, my dad said, how about I tell you a hunting story? And I said, sure, that sounds great. And he thought, oh, good, she'll be knocked out in about five minutes. You know, she's not going to be interested in this. Well, three hours later, when my mom came home and I was still wide awake and he was still telling me hunting stories, you know, he realized how much I really enjoyed them. And it was that time that I referred back to when I was at that funeral service and thinking about the ideas of heroes I started remembering and realizing that the way that my dad was describing the men was in the fashion of a hero. And he thought from the age of, of birth till about he was 13 or 14, that that was going to be his role in the community, that he was going to grow up to be a hunter, a provider of meat, a protector of women, a protector of elders, a protector of children, a teacher to children, a partner to the women, and um, a life lifelong learners from the elders. And it was their job. That was their job and that was their role. And he thought for all those years that he was, it was such a prestigious role in our community because, you know, just to hear my dad talk about how the dad and the uncle and the brother and the nephew would come walking up over the hill and each of them with a, 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 a front quarter or a hind quarter over their shoulders you know, bringing the meat into the community and all of the kids and women and elders getting so excited and laughing and getting the fires going and just being excited to have uh, good meals and feast and eat together and fill each other's, you know, freezers, not, you know, our, then it was dry meat, you know, we, we preserved the meat in such a way so that it would last us and everybody was so happy and it was, um, it was their honor to serve in that capacity. And I think it was their pleasure to do such. And I realized, you know, that at the age of 13 or 14, then 
my grandpa who was working on the railroad at the time was drinking and was abusing my grandma. She took the five kids and she moved into Anchorage and she um, purchased a, a property um, which she later sold to Mr. Brewster and then became Brewster's department store. Um, and then she took a job on Elmendorf Air Force Base as a phone telephone operator. And my dad and his siblings all got put into public school. And my dad went to um, Anchorage High School, which is now known as West High School. And the options for him from that school were to, uh, the only option was to go into the military because of the draft and the war at that time. And so he was drafted immediately and sent off to war. And I had to really come to an understanding and a reckoning with myself and with my dad and with the alcoholism. What must it feel like to spend the first many years of your life thinking that you were going to become this honorable, prestigious person in your community, and then you end up in the US military system and, in, and at war and seeing those kinds of things. And so now, you know, every day when I drive by the corner of Minnesota and Spinard, and I see all those homeless, mostly men, that are on the corner, they're mostly native, they're mostly men, and they're usually drunk. There's no way for me not to think, wow, there's our heroes. Those were supposed to be our heroes. And so those are the kinds of things that I would say that we as Anchorage and we as a Western society and we as a world miss today. Their connections that can't be described or really articulated in an easy fashion without being told stories. My final question for you is just if you would be willing to share a spiritual practice or a mindfulness practice or a self-care practice or how, however you term that, but whatever your practices or practices, multiple, that you do that helps keep you centered and keeps you sustainable in the work that you do. Yes, um, I guess it really started when I was about 12. Um, my, I was in the village, uh, Port Graham, and I'm very close with my mom, one of my mom's younger sisters, Violet, and she was getting married. And my cousins um, were going to be getting new dresses and tights and shoes and hats and gloves. And so they were in the process of ordering these things. And I thought, hey, I want a new dress. And so I, I went to my auntie and I was like, hey, I wanna do what my cousins are doing. I wanna do that. And, and she said, well, in order to do that, you have to get baptized in Russian Orthodox way. And I said, she said, do you wanna do that? And I was. 12 I said yeah I want to do that yeah like thinking yes I want new shoes sure sign me up so I did I became baptized and got godparents and uh, a, a Russian Orthodox name and went to church for a few years and when I was probably about 16 I really started questioning the church like 
Why do women have to wear dresses? Why can't we chew gum? Why do we have to stand and kneel through the whole service? Like, you know, why are all, are all these standards in such a way? Why are there no women up front? Um, you know, I'm asking all these questions. And so I remember I went to my gram and I said, hey, Graham, what was our original traditional religion? And she said, sweetie, I don't know because, um, she said, the first person that we can remember in our lineage of women, when we work our way backwards, comes to the woman Balasculia, and she married Frank, and their last name was Nikolai. So it was already, the Russians had already come and imposed that religion in the area and people had already started changing the way they did those practices. I personally learned about spirituality through um, my um, husband of, of 29 years and his mother. colonization came really at the hands of the missionaries um, in some ways, or at least in partnership. In partnership. It's probably a yeah. better way of putting it. The government was working with missionaries in kind of this yeah. non-separation of church and state. <laughs> yes. Um, so you're, I find uh, you and other indigenous leaders in, in the church world very interesting because it feels like, um, and maybe I don't even know how to answer this question so, or ask this question, but I'll try so it feels like it's inside a system that has this history mm -hmm. that in one sense is like tearing down the culture, but also mm -hmm. you find value apparently in the system because you continue to be part of it. Well, so like how do you navigate that? Um, that's a very personal question. And, and I'm good. I did, yeah. my, my personality is my story is my story. And sure. if I can help my story to help anybody yeah. else, I have yeah. no secrets. So one of the unique things for me um, in the denomination. So the first thing, we have a thing called Midwinter, which I don't think we're having this coming year, but anybody can come to Midwinter, but it's literally a retreat for pastors and it's usually in January. And my first Midwinter, I'd always heard when I worked with a parachurch organization, we're the body of Christ, we reflect Christ, da 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 da. But I never saw it. And my first Midwinter, I was going through personally a really hard, rough time at that point. Um, the same organization and said, you're fired, you're not good enough, um, your numbers aren't big enough, so you're gone. And as I sat there, I saw uh, some Latinos, African Americans, um, Asian Americans, and they were leading worship. And I started crying and went, this is what I've heard about. This is a true body of Christ. And then fast forward to last midwinter, um, the Covenant is known for church planting. We, we plant lots of churches. It's just what we do. It's part of our, our ethos of who we are. And um, there is a Turtle Mountain Reservation. It's Ojibwe Chippewa. 
in uh, North Dakota, and it uh, is a lady that actually is returning home to her reservation to plant the church with her husband. Um, he's African American, and she's Chippewa, Chippewa and, and Filipino. Um, and so the church planner in the region said, "Hey, TJ, you know this person's gonna come," and 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 I literally hear what. Uh, the Holy Spirit speak and say, you need to go pray for them in your language. So our superintendent in Alaska is in Nupiak. And I text him, I said, hey, they're signed in tomorrow at noon. And I already sent a text to the person and said, we'd like to pray for them in our languages. And he's like, make it short, but okay. And fast forward, we get there, we pray over them. He prays in his language and I pray in my language. And, and Lakota and Ojibwe, in the old days fought each other so you may not know Lakota but you do know the word Sioux and the Ojibwe and the French fought against the Lakota, Dakota, Nakota people and so Sioux actually is little red serpent or little red devil so that's actually a derogatory slam to our culture so we don't hear it Lakota, Dakota, Nakota people say that so but as she comes up to me in tears and she goes I know some of those words because I have Lakota friends and she told the church planner she goes, that was a life-changing moment because our language could be spoken. I always come in tears because for so long the church has told us we can't. No drums, no language. Um, the syncretism of what people do culturally and not understand the importance of that. So, yeah, it, there is a dualism. And um, I've had many... Western Europeans ask me the question, how can you do that? And it's like, for me, it's my hand fit together. So I was always, as a follower of Christ, I was always confident. But when I became to know who God created me to be, who the Creator created me, and how He created me to be, and as I'm learning my languages and I'm learning my culture, it was literally my fingers all slipped together. And it actually filled me out. Um, so in my language and my use of my language and my storytelling and the words that I use even in a church, we're a multicultural church, but in the words, I bring a lot of indigenous perspectives to it. Um, and the drum is coming back. The, there are some of those pieces in the language, even the church plant uh, in um, Turtle Mountain Reservation, they're going to use the drums and they're going to use some of that stuff. There's a group called Broken Walls, he's Mohawk, and he takes the drum through all of his songs. And he sings some in Mohawk. Um, and again, even for me, a lot of my worship is all indigenous worship now. I still like Chris Tomlin and, and for King and Country and all that stuff. I saw them in concert in the last year or so. Um, but just to be able to, to soothe my heart, to listen to that indigenous music. Uh, and some of it's not even Christian, you know, but just listening to the drums, there's a soothingness about that from who I am. So. In that dualism, there is, but if I remember who I'm created to be, and I remember Revelation 7, 9, every nation, tribe, and tongue shall worship. And if I don't know my language, and if I don't bring my drum, then that choir is missing a piece. And so that's how I look at it. I look at it as my language, my drum, that's a piece of the choir that I'm to bring. And I'm not to shy away from it. I'm not to be selfish and, and self-centered about it either, but I'm not to be, uh, shy about this is who I'm created to be this is how I'm created to worship and and how I'm created to think in language and culture so
another question I have, and you've, you've answered this one in some ways already, talking about um, some of the stuff that you guys are doing, just hearing different voices, making sure people are part of the conversation, um, including different practices and worship, those type of things, even even the idea that you're gonna, the denomination is going to vote on repudiating doctrine of discovery. Um, but I guess the question I have is like, what what are the directions or what are the things people should be thinking about as far as decolonization as we move forward? And I know in some ways it's hard to like, that's like putting a genie back in a bottle. I mean, I realize that yeah. like, we use that term decolonization as if it could be um, like, there's no way to reset that. But like, as we move forward, how do we do things in a way that um, values the indigenous cultures? That are- so in the covenant, we have a thing called journey to mosaic. And um, my first year, three and a half years ago, four years ago this fall, we went on journey to mosaic and to hear the different cultural stories of uh, we saw the Yaka, we went to the Yakima Nation and heard their story. We heard the Hawaiian story. We heard the African American story. We heard the undocumented immigrant story. And unbeknownst to us, her son was with our group, and so we had a lot of conversation afterwards with that, um, hearing their journey coming across the border, um, the Asian American story. We heard all these stories, and then uh, an Anupiak brother and I stood in the corner, and, and this goes back to your question earlier, the dualism. We, we were in tears of what our white side has done to our indigenous side. But in that process, as we've spent the last four years walking together in that, and that would be the other thing, find someone to walk with that is a little bit older or that you can vent healthily. Um, because there's a lot of injustices out there. Um, there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. And so to have a place that you can vent, that you can process. And so he and I have continued this journey uh, and we continue to have these conversations. Um, and what does that mean? What does that look like? And, you know, because of me being isolated here in Alaska, learning my language through podcasts, through CDs, through books, through my elder that anytime I'm with her, she corrects me in all the words I say wrong. Um, he's like, You've inspired me. So he enrolled in learning Inupiaq even more um, and out of Ukiyabek. Um So knowing that, knowing whose land you're on, there's two apps out there that I found that are free apps that it, you can go, here. here's the land. And if you're in, in Canada, it'll tell you, here's the First Nation you're on and here's all the treaties that were broken in their app um, from it. So it's a really different perspective that way. But to me, those are a couple things you can do. Um, there's a... Dominique Gilliard, um, he's part of our denomination, has a line that says, the oppressed become the oppressors. And I'm concerned that if we don't have some safe ways to process, that the oppressed, which is us, can be the oppressors, that we revert. And I don't believe that that's the way the Creator created us to be. We're supposed to live in balance. There's always tension, right? Anybody who's married, we know that tension, right? There's a tension in that marriage, but when you work through that tension, becomes stronger, it becomes healthier, and becomes better. And that's what this is. This is with the killing of George Floyd. That just has brought some of these tensions to the forefront. And we know that here. I worked for 12 years with kids at West High School. I know the tensions there, but I also know the peace that can be there when you get four guys, four different cultures, and they are true brothers. Um, one of them just had a, a massive heart attack at the age of 39 and died. And, and when I went to his service, he was Samoan, um, went to his service and to see all the different cultures were there. 
So there is that hope that is there. But it's because these guys all play football together. They all did things together. They were all family together. Um, that's really what we're called to do. And so find a way that you can do that. Don't just isolate yourself in your culture, although you need to learn your culture, as I'm doing in mine, but find ways that you can grow and be challenged and to think outside. And I, it goes back to the root of who are you created to be culturally? Who are you created to be? And in that, then I can accept others. So I guess this is a really open-ended question, but what am I missing? Like, I've been asking you questions, but like, what, is there anything that's gone through your mind of like, in this topic of colonization, doctrine of discovery, trying to move forward in healthier ways that, that we've done in the past, or how it relates to the church, any of that stuff? How it relates to the church? say open your eyes so indigenous people are invisible right so I was sitting in a midwinter and there was a church in Oklahoma that was talking about we have all these people for our church plant and I look at another indigenous brother and he goes never once said about the Cherokee did he it's in the trail of tears you don't even know the cultures you're around you don't even know whose land you're on that's huge right I would say the other thing that most people in the church are massively unaware of is since 2015, there's been 5,700 missing and murdered indigenous women. It's not counting the men. There are men in that count. There are men added to that count, right? And that doesn't mean that they just have been found. They're missing. Nobody knows where they are. They've disappeared. We had one in Anchorage that I haven't seen come across that has been found yet, just within the last week or two, right? So what happens? Alaska is one of the number one um, trafficking states, period. Because the kids come in from the bush, the girls come in from the bush, and someone wines and dines them, and then they're scooted off and they're drugged up. I've worked with kids who've been trafficked before. They're so massively drugged. They have no idea. But we're even aware of that in Anchorage. This is a huge problem for us. So missing and murdered indigenous women is, is something that, um, it just breaks my heart. Because you think about, well, it doesn't matter. But if you have a daughter, if you have a wife, if you have a mom, what if it was them? And that's really that question. Will we even be aware of the women around us? Will we be aware of a predator stalking them? Uh, there have been a number of times where I've walked up to a girl and said, you okay? She goes, no. Okay, great. Stay by me. No one's going to mess with me. Yeah, and I can, I'm pretty big at 6'4 anyway, but I can become bigger. Um, I worked in the urban setting. I can become bigger. Um, and just to be aware of that, and, um, it happens. It's here. We saw that, what was it, a year ago with a guy that, because of his flash cart, uh, he dropped the body off of the railroad tracks by Beluga Point, somewhere down there. That was one that was at least solved. The family got closure, but how many more? 5,700 in five years. And so that's what, something that to me is really important. The church needs to open our eyes. Um, I have an indigenous friend. I knew him from when I worked at the uh, Downtown Soup Kitchen and Hope Center. And he walks into my church. There was a church that was nearby. And he goes, am I welcome here? I said, you know you are. I said, why? Why are the tears? Because that church told me I wasn't dressed right. I wasn't welcomed here. Right? Because he wasn't dress appropriate for church because 
he was a little intoxicated because he smelled a little bit. It's not the Jesus I know. So when I was at the soup kitchen, they always, oh, you need to wear gloves when you're on the floor. No, I'm never wearing gloves. It's one more barrier. And so I never wore gloves when I was on the floor. I always give people hugs. I always shook their hands. And, um, I think that's what we need to be really aware of. What are the barriers and the vibes that we put across in how we do? And again, as a church, if we're Revelation 7-9, what are you doing as a church? And again, give me money to the soup kitchen or Brother Francis or any of those. That's great stuff. But are you going to get your hands dirty? Are, are you, are you going to get out of your pew and you're going to get out and go do something, go volunteer? There are so many places that can have volunteers that need volunteers that are good, positive role models. Um, so that would be the other challenge in church. Go be the, be the visible expression of the invisible God, Colossians. Right? Go, go be that only Jesus they might see. And, and in that process, you don't know the turnaround of life. There have been people that I've spent time with, and just because I spent time with them, their lives have been transformed, not because of me, but just be accepting them as my brother or my sister. Again, in my culture, we call it matakia oyasin. We're all related. We're all relatives. So if we treat each other that way, and the church is the worst at it. We, I grew up in a church that unless you were in a tie, you weren't welcome. And it wasn't in Alaska, so relax. Um, but you weren't welcome. That's not the Jesus I know. Who did Jesus hang out with? It wasn't the people in the church, it was the people in the streets. It was the people of color. Jesus is a person of color. He is not a white guy. I had the opportunity to go to Israel and until I spoke, none of the shopkeepers, Jewish or Muslim shopkeepers, ever said anything to me because I'm darker skinned. All the white people that were on my group, because everyone else was white, they always got hurt. Oh, you rich American, once I spoke, then I was in trouble. But until I spoke, because of my skin color, it was the first time that I really was accepted because of the color of my skin. And, and so will we accept people for the, who they are? as our sisters, as our brothers, or do we accept them only when they come into our mold? That's a challenge for the church to, to break that mold, to break that stereotype. Um, that's doctrine of discovery because that modeling of whiteness, for lack of better terms, um, is so powerful. And if you want to know more about doctrine of discovery, I would challenge people to pick up a book uh, by Mark Charles. He's Navajo, Denai is his, his, his real culture. And uh, Sung Cha Ra, who is Korean American, Sung Cha happens to be a uh, professor at North Park Seminary. It's called Unsettling Truths. And they tell the story in there, and I think it's chapter one, where uh, Mark Charles was like, uh, uh, there was a, DC is where he lives, and there was a statue of Christopher Columbus. And it was on Columbus Day, and he goes, we've always been here, or something like, this doesn't belong, we've always been here, and he was escorted off. And he goes, what's wrong with that? Here's an indigenous person getting kicked off the land again. And so just really that challenge to think through that way. And if you're interested, I'd love to sit down and have a conversation with people. That's what I'm called to do. Uh, stir the pot in a healthy way. Oh, the strength I gather And with all those lessons learned With the crazy long life that I lived already and the scars I earned I still can't seem to find the answers And though the questions I never knew But loving you 
The Anchored City Podcast is grateful for a grant from Resonate Global Mission that in part makes this podcast possible. We are also grateful for our partnership with Street Psalms. Check them out at streetpsalms.org. And we're grateful for you, our listeners. If you are grateful for what you are hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and recommend us to your friends. Resources used to make this episode can be found in the show details. The Anchorage City Podcast is hosted by Joel Kickenfeld and is a production of the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative. The mission of the collaborative is to train the head, heart, and hands of urban leaders to love their city and seek its peace. When we say peace, we mean the desire to see a world where all things are the way they are supposed to be for all people. Find us online at anchorageutc.org and on social media at Anchorage UTC. Our theme song is by Anchorage's own Monica Lettner. <laughs>